Hi, and welcome to Matt Holman Talks Mental Health, the podcast where I have the opportunity to sit down and chat to amazing humans about their journeys with mental health. For this episode, I'm so happy to welcome Holly to the conversation. Welcome, Holly. Hi. Hi, lovely to see you. Yeah, you too. So as I would always do, just a quick introduction to how Holly and I know each other. And then Holly, I'll let you do a proper introduction, let people know uh, all about you, what you're doing. Um, but Holly uh, actually was a, a attendee of mental health first aid training course that I delivered gosh back in 2019 February of 2019 actually um it's really fascinating because since I met Holly back all those uh, few years ago I've been telling a story um about a part of a journey that one of my delegates had mentioned during the training and I couldn't remember exactly which delegate it was unfortunately that's really poor isn't it but uh, as we did the prep for this conversation all of a sudden it became apparent Holly was the person that I keep talking about in every training session. So I'm so excited to come back and have another conversation with you, Holly. And, and thank you for joining me. Um, I won't say anything else. I'm not going to talk about the conversation that we had. Okay. Introduce yourself, please. Tell oh, me. well, it's lovely to see you too. So as, as you know, I came and did the training with you back in, I think, it was 2018, 2019. 19, yeah. We worked out, didn't we? Yeah, um, for a couple of reasons, because I've been on my own mental health journey and because I wanted to know how to support my colleagues um, and my friends on their mental health journeys. I think mental health was something that was becoming sort of more, more talked about. Um, I was discovering that more and more of my friends had gone through similar journeys to me and I just wanted to learn some better skills of how to, how to manage those conversations. Yep. Um, I think there's a bit of fear around starting the conversation and getting it wrong um and and yet we've discussed that that all all that really happens if you start the conversation and it's not the right time is that your your friend thinks that you care about them so yeah. that was how i came to the training and mm -hmm. then since then have gone on and um trained to become a trainer myself and i'm now delivering mental health first aid um, in Bristol to my colleagues in the festival and events industry. Brilliant. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And we, we'll, we'll come to that. We'll get to that point, I yeah. hope, and uh, that sort of journey that you've been on. And, and I love it. I love the thought, you know, somebody comes along to one of the trainings and then does something with it and, and takes their own steps forward. So, so amazing stuff. So big support of that, Holly. Um, but the big piece of this is the journey, your journey with mental health and, and your story. And uh, and I'm, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to smile all the way through this, I'm sure, in a nice way. <laughs> I mean, that in the nicest possible way, because because I know your story. I know some of it anyway. And, and what I remember of it and say to others is just incredible. So I'm going to let you tell your story, please. Holly. Wow. OK, well, where to start, really? Um, I think I. I think I always was conscious that there was something a bit different about me when I was a child. Um, and with reflection now, sort of now, now years after a diagnosis, when I've talked to my mum about it, she said that she probably noticed things were slightly different when I was about four or five years old. Right. Um, but there were so many things going on at home. Uh, my sister was, was very poorly. She was born... Um, um, really very sick when she was born she was in hospital for a long time and um, and then my parents split up at the same time and um, my mum and myself and my my uh, two sisters uh, we were made homeless so we were in a homeless hostel so there were a lot of things kind of covering up or or things that could be attributed to why I was behaving slightly differently or perhaps acting out or you know, there was a lot of a lot of um quite obvious trauma going on within the family and so I think I think it wasn't picked up that I 
perhaps was struggling mentally um, because it was just seen in the wider context of the trauma that the family was going through anyway. Um, and so it wasn't until I was about nine, I think, that um, that my mum, you know, life had settled down at home. We were living in a nice house. Uh, my sister was doing really well. She had started school against all the odds. She was doing really well. My, my middle sister also doing really well. And um, and I think then it became really apparent that things were not not good at all. Um, I was I was seeing people that weren't there. I was hearing voices. Um, so yeah, I was having auditory and visual hallucinations. Um, I used to have to climb out of my body every night and glide out the window and join the dead people and take them up the road to the light, um, which you can imagine as a nine-year-old is quite like terrifying actually. Um, and I, I didn't actually tell anybody that that's what was going on, but the effects of those sort of, those sort of experiences, those hallucinations and, and delusions um, started to affect my school life. And so I got taken out of school for a couple of weeks and sent to my grandma, who was a nurse for a bit of R&R, &R, which involved a lot of afternoon naps and hot chocolate. Um, okay. She lived by the beach and she and my granddad, yeah, they were really kind to me. I have a photo of her and me standing on the doorstep went during that time during that visit and it's quite shocking to look at like my my eyes are just black underneath and I look like this little shell of a, of a child I look really quite ill and I think we just sort of because we were separated from my dad we didn't really know about the mental health conditions that were in dad's side of the family because they were yeah. only emerging then as well um, so we now know that there's a genetically linked um, diagnoses of, of bipolar and psychosis that runs through three generations and is possibly running into the fourth at the moment of, of my family right. um, but we just we didn't know that you know my parents were in their late 20s when they separated and it was it was sort of early days for the, the other members of the family's sure, diagnosis yeah. Um, yeah so life plodded on and it wasn't really until I got into my teens that things really, really got super bad. Yeah. Um, and I was experiencing quite regular episodes of psychosis and I was away at boarding school. And I think I, I just walked out of a lesson one day, just literally walked out, didn't tell anybody anything, got on a train and came home, which was a couple of hours journey. And my mum thought I was just playing truant, was just sort of, you know, acting up. And yeah. so she just took me back to school. Mm -hmm. And I think the school realised that things were really, really not right. You know, I was I was having conversations with with Jesus and I really wow. was not well at all. Wow. And they took me to my GP. I had a GP at school who was a very nice man, but who was quite old school and said, probably what I needed to do was to have a baby. Um, that really? would me out. <laughs> yeah. I was 15 it's like well you know probably if you were a little bit older we'd recommend you had a baby that would probably oh, right. that. yeah and I was like okay but I'm 15 and at school he was like so we're going to prescribe some Prozac instead oh, okay. <laughs> That's yeah I know I know can you imagine a GP saying that now these are different yeah. times yeah. um yeah so prescribed Prozac which uh which made the psychosis worse um, and uh, and I, I and then referred me to mental health services, um, and it, it ended up with me being picked up by the police. 
um, after an episode at a psychiatrist who he just kept asking the same question, like, how often does your mum come and visit? And I kept trying to explain to him that my mum wasn't allowed to come and visit at boarding school. Like there were really strict rules around what could sure. happen. Yeah. And he, he just kept asking the same question over and over. Um, and so I walked out. I was quite good at walking away from things. And the police picked me up and took me back to school because they thought I was a risk to myself. And I think that was when people really started to say, well, actually, there's something there's something a bit deeper going on. This isn't just a, a teenager playing up. Um, so I was put on antidepressants from that age. I was changed to Siroxat, okay. um, which we now know in under 18s has a, a link with self-harming mm. and an increased risk of self-harming. And I did. I started self-harming almost straight away as soon as I went on to it. Um, uh, but at the time, the, the options for drugs were quite limited. Um, really don't remember there being much more than Prozac or Siroxat, really. Um, so apart from, you know, the sort of carbamazepines of, of the real old, you know, mm. it was during the, the 90s, a change in, in, in the understandings of medicine. Um, yeah, so I just sort of bounced around through my A-levels, didn't do very well. Um, having done really well at GCSE level, which is a shame, yeah. dropped out of university, um, went travelling, kind of ran away from it all really, um, got back from travelling and decided to enrol back at university, so things were kind of stable-ish, yeah. went back to university, um, was self-harming quite badly by that point, yeah. um, had, had had to go to A&E a few times to, to have treatment for different sort of cuts and injuries that I've caused myself, and um, at university, the wheels really came off. Mm. The, the pressure of the change of, you know, not, it, it was just such change. And there was so little structure. Um, and there wasn't really, in the first year, it, it, there wasn't actually that much to do. Right. And I had gone from this quite sort of ordered, structured, mm -hmm. I had a job, I had a mortgage, I had all of these things. Right. Um, to then, I was, I was in my early 20s by that point so I was a little bit late to university um to suddenly have none of that and to be oh god you've got like you know one 40 minute lecture and then you've got nothing until the next day and right. I don't really know anybody and it it caused quite a, a, a shift in, in my mental health and I had been given a diagnosis in 99 uh no sorry in 98 1998 but I didn't agree with it um and I didn't agree with it because my mum was, well, it sounds awful. My mum, she had always described people as with manic depression as, as kind of old man alcoholics. Right. Um, and that was the diagnosis I was given. And so I didn't accept it. Mm. Um, and our friend's daughter had committed suicide. Um, and so she feeling frightened by that, I think, had always told us that suicide was a really selfish thing to do and right. she'd be very angry with us if we ever did it and and I can see now that that really came from a place of fear um, but it was quite difficult to then talk to her about how I was um, so yeah while I was at university I, I tried to take my own life um, and finally I think through that you know um, I tried to get sectioned. I tried to ask the GP to section me and they wouldn't. Um, and I went home and I was in a really, really bad way. 
and my mum I think realised that it wasn't just me misbehaving like there was something wrong um she couldn't get me sectioned either wasn't sick enough unbelievably um and so I got booked into a branch of the priory for three days okay um and they just sedated me basically for three days yeah I feel like I've waffled loads (laughs) carry on carry on this is what it's about so you okay sure oh yeah 100 percent. it's your story um yeah so from there things really picked up yeah I went back to university um and quick pretty quickly decided realized that I I wasn't well enough to continue at university so I pulled out Hmm. uh, I withdrew and I was really lucky that my GP was a German gentleman and I wish I I wish I could find out who he was because he I would say he saved my life right um and I, I'm not sure whether he'd still be practicing now, but I, you know, I'd love to thank him for it um, because he, it was him who changed my mind about the diagnosis. And he realized that I was studying human biology at university with a, I had wanted to be a doctor, but I had sort of downgraded what I thought I could cope with. Yeah. And so eventually I decided to teach biology so I was learning how to teach that at university and he realized like that was the way into helping me manage mm-hmm. the diagnosis and, and learning to live with this condition was to go in through the sort of scientific angle and um, he we lived in Oxford so I was at Oxford Brooks University but Oxford the proper Oxford University has um, a link to the mental health hospital yeah. in Oxford and they run their clinical trials there so when he gave me the diagnosis he also linked me up to a whole series of clinical trials that were going on which was amazing oh, right. absolutely okay. amazing yeah so I took part in the very first mindfulness trial when they were trying to see they were bringing mindfulness over from a mindfulness program over from America to see whether they could use that as a treatment option on the NHS I took part in that I took part in studies where I had like electrodes in my head electrodes on my eyelids I've been in and out of like MRIs MRI scanners for all sorts of different things I went on a drugs trial and it was fundamental to me accepting that I was poorly Um, I was still very ill Mm. Um, it leads us nicely to your your Barcelona story that you tell in your training (laughs) this was the time (laughs) I love it I was wondering when it was coming I was like this was the time so um, despite being yeah on on a really quite hefty raft of drugs um, they they didn't really work And apparently in women that can be more common. I've learned as, as things have gone on um, that they, they are, they're not necessarily as effective in women because a lot of the old mm. drug trials were done on men and they've not factored in like the hormonal changes in women and, sure. and the different sort of body fat ratios and things like that. So yeah, one, one rather crazy night, I suddenly decided that I, I really needed to have, have coffee and breakfast in Barcelona. Like, who doesn't do that? <laughs> that seemed totally rational to me at the time. I, um, I love it. And there was a there was a bus called the Oxford Tube that ran from between Oxford and London in the daytime, like every sort of 10 minutes or something crazy. And, right. and at nighttime, it ran like once every once every hour or once every couple of hours. So I hopped on the Oxford Tube and I went to London and I went to the airport and I booked a flight 
and I went to go ask Lena for breakfast. Like, yeah. Incredible. Hopefully I found my way home. <laughs> um, yeah, I've yeah. since learned that my uncle, who also has bipolar, had a very similar experience in Greece where he took himself off to Greece and um, he ended up in prison in Greece. Uh, he went on a very big manic episode and um, ended up with some with some fishermen and they were I'm not sure that they were really fishermen. Let's put it that way. They were using explosives to do stuff out of the uh, yeah yeah. He had to be brought home. He was Amazing. he was rescue packaged home. So apparently it runs in the family to to run off to sunny climes. Who knew? <laughs> I I always I always think it's a it's a whole new level of cost to that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The coffee was so good out there. Um, (laughs) I'm sure sure it was, but how incredible! I I you know what? And it is that story that I always share with people, and you know, I I I just find it fascinating, you know, to to hear you talking about it again, you know, after hearing it three three years ago or whenever it was when you told me first time, and I it's it's ingrained in my brain that story. Yeah. Um, I mean, it sounds funny. There's, there's harder yeah. sides to it. You know, I, I was in my 20s and I, I had to declare bankruptcy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I wasn't working, I wasn't earning. And, and unfortunately, when I'd gone traveling, I hadn't paid national insurance. And wow. so right. I had this gap in my national insurance record, and I, I, which meant that I didn't qualify for any state benefits. Right. So yeah. I was trying to support myself financially whilst also not earning. And I, and I tried, I really tried to, to keep doing that. And I kept sort of bouncing the, you know, the money round yeah. different places mm-hmm. and different credit cards. And um, eventually it was my GP, the lovely German GP, who, who oh. got the Citizens Advice Bureau into the doctor's surgery. And he said, you know, we have to reduce the stress in your life. And the money is the one that I can help you with. Um, and therefore, oh. let's, let's look at how we can do that. And I think I was about 27 thousand pounds in debt at that point which in the early 2000s was a lot of money yeah a lot of money um and that was a horrible process to go through but again it really helped it really helped to reduce the stress and kind of reset things of how I could then start getting better yeah wow yeah Yeah. and you did yes yeah I mean I still have good days and bad days and yeah um, I have a lot better understanding of of how to manage the condition okay and I think that's the thing with mental health isn't it you know it's 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 not curable always but it's treatable yeah. and it's about learning how to work to your strengths and not beat yourself up about your weaknesses yeah it's so true isn't it and I think you know we had a conversation before we recorded this about sort of adjustments that we have to make sometimes to you know to manage our our mental health in the way that we do it whether that's increasing our well-being you know the activities we do maybe it's taking being kinder to ourselves sometimes a little bit as well so much that be kind is my motto in life like is it you wouldn't well you wouldn't treat your friends the way that we treat ourselves would we I mean just it's true the friend would tell you tell you to go away or you know they wouldn't they wouldn't hang around with you for 30 40 50 years would they if you treated them as hardly as I think humans are hardwired to treat themselves much more harshly than they would treat other people and it's yeah yeah it's 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 a tricky thing to learn well, I found it a tricky thing to learn to be kind to yourself and it's yeah. okay to stop and rest and mm-hmm. it's not you're not being lazy you're you're being you know sensible yeah 
and your dog's disagreeing with you there. Absolutely. I know my neighbours. My neighbours asking if she wants to come outside. I'm sorry. Oh, no, don't worry. <laughs> you know what? We're in this be beautiful world now where we can't just shut ourselves away, can we? There's lots of other. Oh, things. I'm so lucky. I live in a in a community, uh, yeah. travel community, and um, everybody looks after each other. And amazing. Yeah, my neighbour is an absolute legend. He he looks after my dog. He cooks for some of the older people on site. He's 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 one of life's good ones. Oh, that's good. That's good to be surrounded by the right people as well. Right. So, yeah. and, and that's important. So so in terms of that recovery journey then from, you know, so sort of late 20s, I guess, sort of was when it really started changing. Is that fair? To yeah. Say? Yeah. Sort of. mid. Yeah. I think it was like 23, so, 24. So, so, so what did you implement at those points to sort of come forward and get yourself into a much better place? What was going so on? So I was work. I started working and I was working five days a week for a lovely American medical company. Mm -hmm. um, and and the five days a week, like I got promoted at work, okay. um, which was really, really nice. I was really pleased about that, but it just caused quite a big relapse. And so from that point on, I, I was lying in bed one morning on a Saturday and I, I realized that I had nearly six months wages in the bank um, and I was too broken to go and spend them on anything. Like I just, I couldn't get out of bed at the weekends. Like all I did was sleep at the weekends. Right. And I just realised that if I if things were this bad in my 20s and I didn't do something about it, I probably wasn't going to make it to my 30s or my 40s. And so I made a really conscious decision that I, like, I vividly remember that day of lying in bed and just going, I've got to change something or, or I'm not going to survive. And so from that day on, I stopped working full time. Right. Yep. Um, I think I felt that it was lazy not to work full time. Um, I think I hadn't accepted that, you know, a, a, a mental health condition, it, it's not your fault. Like you've got to manage it, otherwise you, you can't function. And so it was quite a big shift internally of, okay, well, I can't ignore this anymore. I've got to do something about it. So I stopped working full time. I went four days a week and I maintained that. Um, and I started to look at sort of the sort of work I wanted to do and I volunteered at a festival and that was when everything changed. I suddenly discovered my tribe and I was like, this is, this is where I need to be. And so I quit my job yep. and that's where everything really started to get better. Brilliant. And, and you say you found your tribe. I like that. Yeah. Everybody needs a tribe to thrive. Yeah. That's my motto. <laughs> I love that. I, I'm writing that down. Oh, I think it's back to the old sort of, you know, like the old Neanderthal days when you had yeah. your tribe, didn't you? And, you know, or, or, you know, they say that thing about like, you need a village to raise a child. Yeah. I think as adults, like we need our tribe around us to, yeah. to keep us, keep us well, keep us happy. But also to pick us up when we're struggling, don't you think? Yeah. yeah, and I think that's a, very much, very no, much. Yeah, I think about my own. That's right. Yeah, go, you go, you go ahead. I'll carry on talking for no, the door. Two yeah, seconds. No worries at all. No worries at all. Um, so Holly's just gone to her dog out. Uh, for anybody that is listening, wondering why uh, she stopped talking. Are. That's all right. She's back. She's back <laughs> so now. Sorry. That's all right. For those that are watching, they'll see what's going on. For those that are listening, I just padded there with a, you know, a, a, I should have put an advert in there, shouldn't I, really? Although this is not, there's no advertising in here. Should have advertised your business, your uh, welly life stuff. But um, yeah, it's and it's interesting, isn't it? So so when I think about when I was struggling, what I needed around me was support to pick me up, not to yeah. you know run to the hills. And, and it, it is a tester, isn't it, for lots of relationships relationships around who's there to support you and and then you return that favor and that support um the lovely thing at the moment holly is that 
there's sun on you and it looks like you're wearing this like rainbow colored oh, lipstick. lipstick it's amazing it looks, yeah. it looks incredible um again <laughs> not very helpful for anybody that's listening to this podcast before, but um but it did look incredible but uh, oh. so so in terms of that tribe that community those people around you so so how have you maintained that because obviously the the events aren't happening like every day of the year forever no how have you continued to maintain that for yourself Oh, well, I've been really lucky, actually. Um, I started volunteering at festivals and that creates quite a sort of um, quite a supportive community. That, yeah. that community of, of people volunteering is, is, is lovely. They, they move from event to event. And, yeah. um, and so I guess my friendship base changed to, mm. to incorporate more of those people. Um, I also started to live within the traveller community. Um, and that in itself creates a really nice community. It's quite a tight-knit community. Um, and so even on my worst days at home, I have to walk through sites to go to the bathroom and you'll okay. inevitably bump into somebody. Okay. And I think one of the hardest things when you're feeling not mentally well is to reach out. And you know, people always say, don't they? Like, oh, if you're not feeling well, reach out to me. And like, oh, yeah. it's one of the hardest things to do yeah, when yeah, you're not feeling yeah. well. But if you have to bump into people and they know you and they know you well and they see that you're not quite your normal self, then those those supportive conversations around how you're doing, they happen a bit more sort of naturally. Brilliant. So that was one way. And then the other way is is work. Yeah. Um, is, is coming back to starting starting doing the mental health training with you and starting teaching it myself. Um, to just widen the conversation within within my tribe of you know lots of us are struggling with these things yeah. and we look after each other all summer because we're in a field together for months and months at a time moving from event to event but how do we look after each other over the winter how do we start those conversations how do we keep ourselves feeling well over winter yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one, isn't it? A challenge at times to make sure you maintain that, and and it just it just it just takes a small bit of effort at times, doesn't it? So that's uh, that's the important part of of those support networks around us as well. Eh? Yeah, absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. Brilliant. Oh, I appreciate that. Um, we are coming towards the end of the recording, believe it or not. We've been talking. Really? For, yeah, we've been talking for well over 25, 26 minutes now. So oh my um, goodness, it's incredible. Isn't it? it just goes so, so, so quickly. Um, so, so I'm going to throw it back to you just for the last few thoughts through, you know, through what you're planning, what you want to do with where you are and, and things like that. So the future for you. Um, but just want to say from me to you, uh, it's, it's an absolute pleasure to see you. And, I, and I'm so happy that we got together and, and did this recording. Um, you know, it's been so nice nice to see you again years. i know I've, I've probably, i would say i've gone gray but i was already gray i think when i did <laughs> if i've got longer yeah yeah i don't know something something's always changed isn't it yeah so so maybe my beard's gone a bit darker but, I, uh, i'd like to say thank you to you i mean oh, thank welcome. you for, for helping me along this journey like the training that, that i did with you was absolutely it was the beginning of the journey that I'm on now and I'm so grateful like so grateful for, for giving me the skills to start so yeah thank you thank you please don't ever stop what you're doing oh gosh a wonderful thing thank you I, I feel a bit tired at times but you know I yeah. keep going and, and it's these conversations <laughs> these conversations are the reason why we get up and we do what we do because we have to um, I'm going to throw it to you though Holly for any final thoughts you want to share and, and what you want to do so over to you oh wow that's a good question go. isn't it? It is, well, isn't it? Yeah. where do we go from here I mean 
my my journey at the moment is 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 like yours is is spreading spreading the word about how do we talk about mental health how do we reduce the stigma and I think my long-term goal is to improve the welfare um of the the people who are in my industry you know I can't change the world much as I'd like to hello bipolar <laughs> yeah, yeah. we'll temper <laughs> that one down just a little bit yeah yeah exactly we'll start at the country then about that off camera didn't we <laughs> yeah start, the, start an individual country just the UK yeah yeah you know one day one day but um yeah I think my my ultimate goal at the moment with the project that I'm doing with the festivals is to start the conversation about how do we have a best practice within mm. our industry of looking after each other um so yeah that's where i'm heading fingers crossed <laughs> yeah fingers crossed absolutely but you're right it, it does need a bit more consistency and best practice to it doesn't it so that everybody yeah. gets the same fair and equal sort of support mechanism around that yeah, um it, great yeah. at looking after the public at events and, and yeah. we just haven't caught up with looking after ourselves no. yet we're getting mm -hmm. there yeah no, absolutely and you know what the more conversations we open the more things that we talk about the more awareness we raise then you expect it to sort of change over time anyway right so exactly it's never yeah. going to be like today it's this and tomorrow it's totally different it will no, take no, time but with amazing people like you holly around it and, and supporting it and pushing it and promoting it it's going to it's going to change it will oh, bless you thank you no. that's coming from you that means a huge amount thank you very much oh, no you're more than welcome well i i say it from the heart because i mean it so it's um it's so important and these conversations are really important too and and the conversations and the stories your journey continues it's not finished so you know we we keep going and uh, who knows what tomorrow is going to bring us and for anybody that is listening or watching um please i hope you feel okay with what holly's shared i'm you know i'm hoping everybody's uh, doing okay um and if you do need extra help or support so always know you are not alone that is the most important message we want to send through this is in those moments when we're struggling when we feel that we've you know nowhere to turn to there is always somebody to turn to so please do always know that um samaritans i always talk about just as samaritans as a closing in this samaritans exist to help support conversations about anything it's not just about suicidal thoughts or crisis it can be about anything that you're struggling with in your life any any moments in your life you just need a safe space to talk about something you don't feel like you can talk to a friend or family member please do pick up the phone samaritans 116123 is the number if you don't want to phone somebody why don't you drop a message to shell 85258 and there are many other organizations out there as well and i just wish i could list every single one of them for you but you can find them no doubt but uh, holly thank you so much i want to wish you and welly life i love that thank welly, you welly life all the very best for the future <laughs> you're gonna have an amazing journey and of course you're already covered in rainbows so you know it's, it's perfect oh uh, perfect thank you so wear. much it's been so, lovely to see you again and oh, i hope that we get to do it in person in time oh 100 you know only we can make that happen so we will make that happen right um so lovely lovely to see you and i look after yourself and uh, i'll speak to you soon thank you so much okay. bye, bye.